Well, you should know uh, where to find the book of Haggai at this stage. Okay, three back from the end of the New Testament. If you're in Zacchaeus, you're in the wrong book completely. There is no such book. And we're in Haggai chapter 2, and we're going to look at the rest of the chapter, verses 10 to 23. So if you remember back a little bit, um, when we looked at the book of Haggai, there are four words of the Lord which come to the people in this book. We looked at the first one, which reminded them to start rebuilding the temple. Second one was a word of encouragement. And now we're at the third word from the Lord, which just adds a whole new facet to this encouragement and shows them God's eternal perspective on their lives. And then the fourth promise we'll also look at this morning, and that's down to an individual level to you and I, as it was to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah. Let's just read this chapter together. Chapter 2, verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the, ninth, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priests answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, the second law, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, that's the food, does it become unclean? The priests answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. And yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider. Is the seed yet in the barn? And the answer is no. Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. And then the fourth promise. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, 
and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Anyone heard of Sisyphus? S-I-S-Y-P-H-U-S? No? There's the bro. I've got a photo of him. He was a figure in Greek mythology. He was condemned to repeat forever and ever the meaningless task of pushing a boulder up a mountain and then seeing it roll back down again. Day after day after day after day. I don't know if life feels a bit like that to you sometimes. Maybe it's just me. We've been through COVID fatigue now for two years, going on three, and one gets tired of it all. There doesn't seem to be an end in sight, although there seems to be a bit of a glimmer now. And maybe it's just like that through your routines, mothers, if you're bringing up little kids, you feel day after day, clothes, house, food, clothes, wash house, food, husband, clothes, husband, husband, clothes, house, food. It's never ending especially the husband. And, but maybe in your career, you feel like that. I've been working my whole life. What have I achieved? Pushing that boulder day after day. And you think, what's it all about? And fatigue sets in. Well, the people had had these promises from the Lord. The first one was to rebuild the temple. And what had they done? They had started the rebuild, and then they started to get tired, so they got a second word from the Lord, and we looked at that last time around this passage, verses 1 to 9 of chapter 2, where the Lord reminded them, don't get tired, the best is yet to come, be strong, work hard, I am with you, said the Lord, the Lord of hosts, my spirit remains in your midst, fear not, he said, I will provide, because all resources belong to me. And I will give you peace. Wow, that was great. I loved it. And so they carried on working. And after two months, that's where we're at in the passage this morning. Two months later, the word of the Lord comes to them again on the 18th of December. There's relevance to that. A very, very specific day. And that's the 18th of December in our Western calendar The work on the temple had continued. The rains had fallen in Israel. And those early rains, if you've been to Israel, they come like clockwork. These soft rains had come in October. And so all the seeds had been taken out of the granaries and strewn onto the ground, into the paddocks. And there was no seed left in the pits. There was no going back now. And now the waiting game starts. Because once you've thrown the seed down, there's nothing else you can do. Believe it or not, human beings. Will the pests stay away this year? Will the follow-up rain come at just the right time? Will it be a good crop? You see, the people had done everything humanly possible. Plus, they had put God first. They had listened to His word to them through Haggai. They had continued working on the temple. So was that enough? Were there good works enough to earn them a good crop? Were there good works 
now deserved of God's blessing. In other words, to put it in another language, did God owe them? Today's language, I've lived a good Christian life my whole life. I've paid my tithes. I've read my Bible. So I can expect God to bless me based on what I've done, right? You see, God gives them a heavenly perspective. He reminds them of who they are and who He is. And that just puts them in the right shape and size in their picture of themselves. And so He reminds them in verses 10 to 14. He reminds them that you are a defiled people. And He takes them back to the Jewish law about defilement. And we, don't, we aren't experts in that, so we're going to be reminded of what that law said. He points them back to two laws. And the first one was about holy meat. And it kind of worked like this. People brought a sacrifice, a goat or whatever, and this goat was set aside for the Lord. The priest laid his hands on it. It was set aside for the Lord. Then they butchered this animal, and the priest took this meat, certain parts of the animal, and he would, they didn't have um, trolleys and things. So he'd take his cloak, and they'd put it in his holy cloak, and he'd carry it to the place of sacrifice, and there they would sacrifice it. And the question is, from the law, the Lord says, so when you take that goat, which has been set apart to the Lord, and you put it into the holy robes of the priest, does that meat or the bread or the wine or the grain or whatever is being taken, does it become holy because of contact with the priest's cloak? And the priest said, no, it's already holy. It's been set apart for the Lord. All right, follow-up question. And you'll see that in verses 10 to 14. It's a question of defilement now. He says, if someone who is ceremonially unclean because they've touched the dead body and then they want to come and worship the Lord, all right, if they now touch the same holy food, does the holy food become unclean or defiled by law? And the answer is, come on, experts of the law. Yes, it does. So if you are ceremonially unclean and you touch that same meat, it, be it becomes unclean because you are unclean. All right, now, what is, what's that got to do with anything? What's the point? Here's the point. The Lord reminds the people that they are continually unclean because they are surrounded by unclean things. And so they're in a continual state of defilement before Him. Or unholiness. And so anything they do or anything they bring to God is corrupted. Even if it's well-intentioned. So they might come and pray before the Lord and offer prayers before the Lord, but they are defiled prayers because the people are defiled. Okay? Don't leave me there. We're carrying on. But, and here's the difference. Let's just go to Isaiah 64 verse 6 if you want to quickly flick there. I'll just read this to you. This is what the Lord said about bringing anything before Him. Isaiah 64, verse 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. So that's how God sees all the good things we do before Him. So we can't just go on what we've done before the Lord to obtain the Lord's mercies. It's all about God. What has God done? That other law said, what God has set apart to be holy 
and is declared holy by the Lord, he will bless. It's all about God declaring something holy. And once God has declared something holy, it remains holy or separated unto him. Do you see the difference there? And that applies to our lives. We're going to come to that. When God declares us holy, it doesn't matter what our circumstances are or what we do and try to be good before the Lord. We remain holy before him. He's declared it so. I'm going to expand on that. All right. And God said, what he has declared holy, he will bless. Deuteronomy 26, 18, I'm sure you can't remember back to our studies in Deuteronomy, but there we looked at God's blessings. God has said to them, if you listen to my voice and obey my commandments, I will bless you despite you. I am a holy God. I am a faithful God. I will bless you. But the problem was that they were hard-hearted people, like we are. And so we get to verses 15 to 17. He reminds them what their state was even before they had started the temple rebuild. Before they'd laid stone on stone, said verse 15. Before they'd laid that foundation stone in the temple and Zerubbabel had pronounced the blessing, they were unfaithful. How do we know that they were unfaithful? Because they'd forgotten to rebuild the temple. They were busy building their own houses and God had to come and tell them, stop, do what's First priority, rebuild my temple first. They were unfaithful. And what had God done in the past to his unfaithful people? Had he just turned a blind eye? No. He's a constant, unchanging God. He had never just left sin. He had brought on them covenant curses and covenant blessings. You might remember back to Deuteronomy when we looked at Deuteronomy 28. Blessings and curses. God had said to them, if you listen to my word, I will bless you. But if you are disobedient to me, I will bring curses upon you and the next in your generation. And he listed the curses. And now what we look at in verses 15 to 17 are some of those curses in action. The Lord says in verses 16 to 17 through Haggai, he says, you sow your seed, it's all gone out of the bins, and you wait for the grain to grow. But all you get is mildew. All you get is blight. All you get is hail. You go and try and measure the crops when the crop comes in, and all you get is less of a crop than what you expected. You go to your wine presses. You try and draw up the measures of wine that you think you would have got, but your judgment is out. Why? Because there's less wine. Why is that? Because my covenant curses remain on you for your disobedience. However, when God brought his message to them through Haggai, they'd been responsive to the Lord's word to them. And they'd obeyed him and persevered with the rebuild. And so now did God owe them. They were still defiled and all their works were defiled. But God says, I will now bless you abundantly. Why? And so he come, we come to the next reason. It's because of who God is. Verse 18 to 19. Look at this. This is fantastic. He says, from this day forward, I will bless you. Despite you, I will bless you. Now, it's not just for nothing that that, that phrase is there for this, from this day forward. In the old days, when God made a promise and some, did something great among them, they'd erect something called a standing stone. And every time they came traveling past that standing stone, they'd say, oh yes, what happened here? God did this or God did that. 
And so every generation was reminded. This is the same thing. God says, from this day forward, we erect this as a standing stone, as a signpost to you, which can be a marker for you. It's a precise promise. Look at the precision on the 24th day of the ninth month in the Jewish calendar. From this day, the Lord says, I will do this in the future. You show me any person in the world who can predict to that degree of precision what will happen in the future. Who can do that? Only an omnipotent God can say, I will do this and it will come to pass. And so he gives him a very precise date. He says, I will bring my promises to pass and you will have a future blessing despite present uncertainty. Only an omnipotent God can say to you and I, I will bring you blessing despite present uncertainty. We don't know what's lying ahead for us in this country. We don't know at all. Things are starting to look good. But it's still very, very uncertain. We look at the world. We look at the economy. We look at what's happening in Europe. We look at the oil price. You look at the petrol price. It's where it really hurts. And you say, what's going to happen? Is, are things going to get more expensive? And they could. If a war breaks out, they will. Food will go up. Only our God can give us a future promise in uncertain times. We need to hold on to Him. He is the almighty, omnipotent God. And what does the Lord say? What is His blessing to be? He says, you've defiled yourselves by your disobedience and your negligent, worship, your negligent worship towards me. And for you, there's no human remedy. You are defiled before me. There's nothing that you can do to make you undefiled. The solution for your dilemma lies completely in me. Don't hope in anything in you. I am the only one who can make you clean. And I will bless you despite your inability to be pure. That's the definition of grace. Grace. When God blesses us, despite our ability to be pure before Him. We don't deserve it. And yet He blesses. It's called grace. Undeserved love to an undeserving people is grace. He's the God of grace. Why does he say this? He says, because I bless my holy people. I bless my set-apart people. When were we set apart? It's in the next part. When were we set apart? We were set apart the moment we were born again. We were set apart. Let's look at the fourth promise, and then we'll come back to those applications for now. So I'll come back to that um, holiness. Verses 20 to 23, let's read this together. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. What does that remind you of? The Red Sea and other battles they fought where God fought and they didn't lift a finger. And I will... And every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, 
The son of Shealtiel declares the Lord and make you like a signet ring. For I've chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. So what is this fourth promise from the Lord? He speaks about bringing the high low, about bringing, making the strong weak, about um, working with the chosen ones who he lifts up. He's speaking about bringing down any power that raises itself up against the Lord, and he's saying, I will bring it down. There's still a warning there for today. And so the Lord takes his message of hope down to this individual level, down to Zerubbabel, the governor. Who is he? Well, he was honored in Jewish history, and he was listed with Joshua as one of the famous men of the fathers of Israel. What does God promise Zerubbabel? The Lord says, using this traditional vocab of destruction, I will come down, I will overthrow kingdoms, uh, men will be overcome by swords, etc. He says, I will personally ensure, the Lord, says the Lord to Zerubbabel, that David's kingdom will continue through you, Zerubbabel. Remember the, the picture here. Israel had been in exile. And now they were coming back. And they must have been wondering, has, has God still got a promise for us? Zerubbabel must have thought, I'm the governor of Judah. We're rebuilding this temple. What's the Lord going to do about his promise to David? The Lord says, I'm going to carry on fulfilling that promise through you, Zerubbabel. David's line will continue. I will make you like a signet ring. Now, we need to understand signet ring. Right in those days, the king had a signet, signet ring. He, um, he wore this special ring. It had a stamp on it. And every time he made an order, they put wax on it, and he would punch his signet ring into that wax. And it said, this rule, this new law is there by authority of the king himself. Where would he wear the signet ring? On his finger. Not because he might get it lost. It's for safety. Because if someone else could get that signet ring, they could pass other laws, even against the king. So he always kept it safe on his hand. And he had a lot of guards around him. Alright, so we've got the orders of the king and safety. What does he say to Zerubbabel? You will fulfill the promises I made. This kingdom will continue through, through the line of David. You, Zerubbabel, will fulfill this. I, the Lord, declare it with my ring. And I will keep you safe so that you will fulfill the destiny I have for you, says the Lord. That's fantastic. And so that's the promise brought down to the individual level. And we're going to come to that now in our application. What do we do with all this? I've got three points of application. Let's look at them. First one, you and I have been declared holy at rebirth. How do I know that? Because God's word says so. You and I, as a child of God, were born again. You were declared holy before the Lord. Isaiah 43, verse 1 says this. Listen to this. This is Old Testamental. Listen to these words. It says, fear not. Why? For I have redeemed you. What is that? I have freed you. You've been reborn. And you've been sent on your way by me, Almighty God. I have redeemed you. I've freed you from your sin. I've taken it away. I've made you a new person. Rebirth. You are mine. Okay? From the moment of rebirth, you are declared God's and set apart for His. And so nothing can change that declaration over your life. 
Don't listen to the naysayers. Don't listen to the circumstances in your life. Don't listen to the depression when it sets in on your life. Nothing can influence and change that declaration of your life. Jesus Christ has said to you, I have made you mine. I've set you apart. Nothing can change that. I, almighty God, declare that. I will keep you safe. God's made that de declaration. But you say, what about my sin? Yes, God has made this over my life, but I carry on sinning. I can't help it. That's where grace comes in. Grace for everyday sin. Grace for everyday holiness. You see, we constantly fail. I do. You might not. I do. We constantly fail. We defile ourselves because of the sin in our hearts. And, and, given, and we give in to that influence of sin which surrounds us all the time. Be it on the TV, on the internet, wherever. We give in to these things. But praise the Lord for His provision. He gives us His grace freely despite us. I praise the Lord for that. And therefore, His blessing remains on us, according to this passage. Anyone happy? All right. Good. There's more, lastly. He says, I will give you a secure future. Now, it was a specific promise to Zerubbabel about the Davidic line, but there's a general promise here to you and I, His people. And the promise is this, that you and I will fulfill our God-appointed destiny. You might be a mother. You might be a physician. You might be a pastor. You might be a health and safety officer. You might be a whatever, a student at college. You won't be there forever, by the way. All right. You might be in these things. You will fulfill your God-appointed destiny. How do we know that? 1 Corinthians 7, 17, we saw this as a men's group recently. Listen to this beautiful verse. This is what God says. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. And that's not all. And to which God has called him. Do you see there's two things here? Way before you existed, God says, I foreknew you and I knew you. And he had already assigned to us the works he would have for us. How do I know that? Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right, so way before time, God assigned us to be and to do things. Colin, way before time, God assigned you to be a travel agent and then to go and work in uh, bearing people. Way before time, God knew Way before time, God knew I wasn't going to be the top ace, top gunfighter pilot that I wanted to be as a boy. And so I was a teacher and then IT and then here as a pastor. I didn't see that. But God had assigned it to my life. And that's not all, you see. And then God called us to that. At a certain time in your life, God called you into your position. So you've been assigned that position and God calls you to it. And he blesses you in it. And so we continue to serve him despite circumstances, despite what happens to us. Do you have more job security now? Do you see the bigger picture? He's called us Almighty God himself. And he underwrites this prediction of our fulfilled destiny. He says, you will achieve that which I've given to you to do. 
And what should our response be? Like Zerubbabel, what should we do? We are to be faithful in the little things. Mum, those nappies, cleaning of the house, the regular job, the same old spreadsheets coming up and up, just different figures. We are to be faithful in the little things, in the daily grind of the chores that are put before us, of the studies that we have to do, of the work, of the witnessing that God has put before us, of our laboring for God and of our daily, working for our daily bread. And sometimes the task before us may seem a little bit like that of old Sisyphus, this daily stone rolling up and down that hill, and next morning there she is, back down. But Scripture assures you and I, through this prophet Haggai, that none of our labors will be wasted in the purposes of God. Now forgive me for the next phrase. So I say to you and I, roll on with Jesus. His grace is sufficient for us. Yes? Let's roll on what God has put before us. It's not an endless, mindless task. Things are slowly changing. We are headed up in one direction. It's not all over like with old Sisyphus. He is about to return. And when he does, there'll be no more rolling of rocks because we'll be with them in eternity. And that's going to be one task assigned to us that we will never get tired of. It's going to be exciting every day. I look forward to that. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, keep our eyes looking up. Give us an expectancy in our hearts. And thank you for this Assurance that we know that when we have been saved by you, Lord Jesus, you have set us aside for you. And nothing can change that declaration over our lives. Nothing can change that. And then you've given us the grace for that everyday failure that we commit before you. You forgive us our sins. You take our sins away from us. You give us white hearts, pure hearts. And what do we do the next day? We fail before you. You forgive our sins. You for take those sins away. And slowly, you change us. You mold us. You shape us to be more like Jesus Christ. Thank you that there is a future. There is hope. Help us not to see the dark waves and those massive waves around us, but to keep looking at you and at our hope, which is in Christ. Amen.